Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, hello, hello guys. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about stats in terms of steroid use and Photoshop and cosmetic surgeries and procedures. I just, and, and like photo and how many people are Photoshopping, how many people have eating disorders, because I want to kind of shed a light on what you're comparing yourself to. Cause I talked to a lot of clients, talked to a lot of people on Instagram, and I just do this in general all the time. I look at someone and I can maybe compare myself to them. And you have to remember that what we see online, what we see in real life, sometimes isn't the full picture of what's going on. And I thought that this episode could be a really scientific based episode to show you like, here's what you're comparing yourself to, but here's the reality that's actually going on. Here's what you're comparing yourself to. You might even be comparing yourself to people that aren't real, that they're, or they're doing stuff that you're not able to do, or you don't want to do. Here's what's really going on. And I think knowledge is power. So knowing that will help you when you're kind of going into it. But before we get into that, I have a few announcements. One, I was actually on a podcast recently with Kevin Bersiaga. He was a guest on my podcast and he has his own podcast called The Rational Eater Podcast. He is amazing. Our approaches to bulimia recovery are pretty similar. Uh, So we talk all about the process of recovery and what we see. It was just Kevin and I like to talk and it's just a very organic conversation. Um, I really love that episode. I've done multiple episodes with him on his podcast and he's done an episode here with me. And then also, if you want to hear me like trash Miami drivers a little bit, <laughs> probably not the best that I did that. Um, but you can go find that episode in his podcast. So that was released last weekend. Go check that out. Secondly, I just want to talk about some gratefulness I'm feeling. I just got off the phone with a client who she is feeling so much better in terms of recovery. And these past this past month, she's really been in those final stages of letting go of bulimia and pursuing other things in her life. And she just told me about how she's really wanting to explore her sexual identity and she's actually bisexual. And now she feels like she has the room in her life to even consider those possibilities. But she's just like, blows my mind because that's obviously a huge piece of someone's life. And the fact that bulimia recovery is opening that up for her is just amazing, right? And when you think of recovery, you don't think of your life expanding in that way. Even though I say it all the time, like your life expands when you recover from bulimia, but because you're so, bulimia is like you're, you're staring at something up close, right? You're staring at this like wall really, really closely. And there's so much good stuff behind the wall, but you're staring at the wall, that's all you can see. And so removing that down, taking that brick wall down really just opens up a world of possibilities. And this person on top of that, she is also um, feels safe and competent enough to live by herself. So she wants to do that, explore her own identity outside of sexuality, just her identity in general, and then also is pursuing her job like a mad, crazy, ambitious woman. And it's just, 
inspires me, you know, and she's finding other avenues that she's like, and she's creating job opportunities because of the time and mental space that she has. So I just thought that was so exciting. Whenever I get off a call like that and our call wasn't even about food, it was about her, you know, exploring things and pursuing different dreams of hers. That was what our coaching was about. And it was just so amazing to see that. Another client I had recently who recovered, she um, started to explore like her dreams of becoming a high level athlete. And she hadn't even considered the possibility. It was just kind of shut down to it because like that's, she didn't have time for that. She had an eating disorder, all this sort of stuff, but she's now even considering that possibility for herself and going down that path and also trying to work on her perfectionism. So it's just like so many things open up when you recover from bulimia. I don't think people realize that it's not just about the food. It's not just about the weight loss. It's not just about the body image or the binging and purging, any of that, really removing that whole ecosystem from your life and going to a new ecosystem just creates a whole new world of possibilities that you were always capable of. And yet you never really gave yourself the opportunity to try them out because you were always so occupied with bulimia. It really is like a toxic relationship, you know, a toxic relationship that you're in that takes up all of your time, um, is very needy, very demanding and very abusive. And once you remove that from your life, you actually begin to grow again and become that person. And I want to be careful when I say that, because it's not to say you can't grow while struggling with bulimia. People, I see people all the time that are struggling with bulimia and also have so much thing, so many things going on for them. They're amazing people. But I think that once you get rid of bulimia, it just tenfold, like expands you way more once you're done with that part of your life. So anyway, I just wanted to offer that as some hope for you guys, because a lot of these people never thought that they could, um, they could do things like this. And now they are. Oh, and last story before I begin, um, one client is actually, she came from Overeaters Anonymous. That was what she was um, doing before working with me. And she really didn't like some of the concepts in Overeaters Anonymous, which is an amazing program. I don't want to bash them at all, but they have some concepts I don't agree with. And she certainly didn't agree with. And so she's like, I want to create a space in person for not only me, but other people that need support. And I just thought like, how fucking cool that this client now that she's recovered something she and she feels like she has control over her life and stuff like that is now opening up space for other people to do the same thing like what it's just it's a grateful day i'm really really happy this is happening and excited about it but anyway today i wanted to talk about statistics just some cool stats for you guys because so many people don't realize the prevalence of Photoshop, of steroid use, performance-enhancing drugs, um, PEDs, basically, uh, and how many people are incorporating things into their life that are aiding them in ways that you don't even understand, and yet you're comparing them to to you're comparing yourself to them without knowing the full picture. And it really creates this imbalance of you're running and striving for something that doesn't even exist or isn't possible given what you're doing. So you're trying to do it without the help that maybe these people are having. Maybe it's not real or they're just using other things. I don't want to bash anyone that's used, uses PEDs um, or, or, or anabolic steroids, anything like that, or gets cosmetic surgery or photoshops their images. I don't think that is inherently wrong. What I think is wrong is lying about it and being deceitful about it. Because what happens is like, there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of fitness athletes right there on YouTube. Like there's a whole bunch of bodybuilders on YouTube that take steroids. They take performance enhancing drugs that puts them at, at a huge advantage over natural athletes and makes their aesthetic something that is unachievable for a natural athlete. But they don't say that they're taking steroids and then tell people if you just, you know, eat this and train this many times a day, you'll get my results. And that is a lie. You know, it's a lie anyway, because you're, they're not the same person. You, your genetics are different from that person. You respond differently to stimulus um, that they're doing. Like there's just a whole bunch of reasons why you're not going to get the exact same results as someone ever. But on top of that, they're it's like they're taking this, you know, steroids aren't a magic drug, but they're taking this magic thing and then not telling you about it. And then of course, when you are trying to compete with that and wondering why you're working so damn hard and you're still not measuring up, well, it's because you don't have the full picture. You're not, you're missing the secret ingredient or the secret ingredient that doesn't even exist. Like for example, Photoshop. Again, I don't have a problem with people photoshopping their photos, but I, I wish that they would just say it, you know, like, hey, even if they had, this might be a little too far, but they had a, a little disclaimer being like photoshopped, you know, or just like edited image, something like that, just to remind people like, there's nothing wrong with editing. I use filters over most of my, um, most of my photos because it makes it brightens the lighting and makes it look better beauty is okay. It's all right to do that. I'm a full supporter of Photoshop and editing softwares, but if they, people could just like, let them know that, Hey, this has been edited. Just, just so you know, you know, but people see it and they think, Oh, that's real. And even if they didn't edit it, like a, a picture is just a still shot image of something. I I've been doing more reels recently. And when you're moving around on camera, like all your insecurities are on display, right? Your body looks completely different than taking that one shot where you're twisted this way and twisted that way. And it makes your waist look super small and all your, all your angles, angles look right. But when you were taking a video, it's just like all of that's moving around. And even videos now can be edited quite a bit. So you can um, edit a body while it's moving to make it look a certain way. So that like you're comparing yourself to things like that when really in real life, it's not what it looks like at all. And of course, this creates a lot of things. It creates a lot of negative mindset around your own body, thinking that you're not good enough, that you're just not trying hard enough, that you're just not doing the right things, that you can't just get it together, that this person has it together. And that's so not the case. And even if they aren't Photoshopped or they aren't, um, maybe they're not taking steroids or something like that they still could be doing things on the side that you just don't want to be doing. Um, and that's why I kind of pulled out. It's not that people with eating disorders are always thin or they're always like look like they're super fit or something like that or whatever your ideal body is, but that can be the case sometimes. And I think some influencers are actually doing things that are maybe quite disordered or they're just like, they're, they're pretending like they are, oh, I'm just doing this all day. I eat cheeseburgers all the time and they really don't. They do not eat cheeseburgers all the time. They eat some them occasionally, but they also eat salads most of the time. And they're actually highly regimented. And that's, we can talk about whether that's good or bad on another day, but I would really honestly rather they at least told you, gave you the full picture of what they're doing behind the scenes so that you knew exactly what you were getting into if you wanted to pursue looking like that, you know? It's just that these things create really, un that you know why they're bad, but I feel the need to explain it. 
it creates really unrealistic ideals for you and what's going on. It makes you feel like you're broken, like you're doing something wrong, when really that's not the case at all. But without further ado, let's get into some statistics about all of these um, little aids, if you will, that people use to make them appear a certain way, whether online or in real life, that you may not be super aware of. And like I said, knowledge is power. So even if you, you probably know, it's not some big surprise of like, what? people Photoshop their images, people use steroids, but knowing actual numbers of what's going on can be really, really powerful and a good reminder of actually this is what's going on because maybe you don't know how prevalent it is. Maybe you think that steroids is only reserved for the giant freaks or whatever, the people that are like the best, the best, the best athletes, when it's actually more common than you might think um, to do a lot of these things. And it gets easier and easier to do these things given technology and scientific advancements. So uh, this is only going to keep on going. And some of these stats aren't even from this year, they're from past years. So I can only imagine that a lot of them have actually grown in the past few years. Uh, but I really think that these numbers will help dispel the facade and hopefully give you a really good reminder when you're looking on Instagram to be much, much more uh, conscious with your mind when you're looking at things and not just falling into the trap of like these people are completely real. Um, and also for those of you guys that are, you know, nerds like me, you should always, if someone makes claims, you should probably check the where their sources are from. So um, I'll try to mention them as I go, but all of my sources will be listed in the podcast description below. If you listen on Spotify, I don't know if they, I think they do give a podcast description, but I'm not sure if you can click on the link, but you certainly can on um, Apple iTunes and that stuff. So the, the sources will be linked below if you're curious where I got these numbers from. All right, first thing, steroids. I was really curious to do this one because I go to the gym all the time and I see a lot of people that definitely appear to be on steroids, but I was kind of curious, like, what is the actual number? How many people are using PEDs? So the study that I have is the Global Epidemiology of Anabolic Androgenic Steroid Use, a meta-analysis and meta-regression analysis. And so the number that I pull from this is in the U.S., between three to four million people use anabolic androgenic steroids and worldwide steroid users make up 3.3% of the population. Now you may think, well, 3.3, that's not that much. And granted, yeah, it's not that much, but that's still a gigantic number. And I want to reiterate that I want to say people think, oh, steroid use is just for men. Only male athletes use steroids. That is not the case, and it's becoming more and more common for women to also use steroids. So if you're in the gym thinking like people that use steroids are only the people that look like huge, gigantic freaks that don't look anything natural at all, that's not always the case. You can be doing low doses of PEDs and be getting the results that you want, and a, a lot of women, especially um, maybe women bodybuilders or um, maybe Instagram fitness models, steroids can really enhance your performance and your muscle gain. Um, they're one hell of a drug, no matter what the side effects or risk may be, it depends, but they can be really useful for female athletes as well. So that person that you're staring at, that just seems to have like the perfect body and um, their performance is crazy. And they're doing like 10 mile runs in the morning. And then they're also lifting weights in the afternoon and they don't complain about fatigue or not being able to keep up with the regimen. It's not a guarantee that they're doing steroids, but you might want to take it with a grain of salt that they could be doing steroids. They could be having a drug that's aiding them 
a whole lot more than what you have, than what your caffeine is doing for you. It's just got to keep in mind. Cause I really didn't think when I was um, younger, I, I thought steroids was something that dudes just did. And it's hell of a lot more prevalent for dudes. That is true. Um, as of right now, at least, but don't think that it's just the dudes, the girl that you're comparing yourself to, that seems like they, she just has the best genetics in the world in terms of muscle, muscle development and training performance and things like that could be using performance enhancing drugs. So keep that in mind. It's a crazy stat. It's not just a male thing. It's a female thing and men. Oh my goodness. I feel so bad because it is so much more common to see male YouTubers though. And, um, online fitness, um, influencers claiming that they're natural when they're not natural. And so men and women out there and anyone, and not just men and women, please be watching and with a grain of salt that they could be using drugs that you're not aware of. If it seems too good to be true, that may actually be the case. And that's a good rule of thumb that, you know, my grandpa gave me and you should take, and hopefully your parents gave to you is if it seems too good to be true, you should take that as a red flag, like anything. It's like the person selling you a Ferrari for $1. It's like, what the hell is wrong with this Ferrari? Did you murder someone for it? Is that why you're giving me this Ferrari? It can't just be $1, right? That just doesn't make any sense. So please take that into mind when you are considering drug use and watching people online and um, feeling, and especially if you find that you're doing everything supposedly that they're saying and you're still not getting those results, that may part of the part of the issue. So the other one I wanted to cover was Photoshop use and photo editing use. So this one was a little bit disappointing. I couldn't find very good sources for the study, but I did find an interesting article. So I want to put a big disclaimer that this article, as far as I can tell, did not list its sources, which I just hated. I thought like, that's pretty scummy. If you I'm assuming they got it from these photo editing apps that they're talking about, like Facetune, but also um, the photo editors and probably got their stats from there. They do have some studies on this article, but they don't link any of them as far as I can tell, which is kind of annoying because again, you're, you should check the sources of where people's information is. They, they'll mention a few studies, but there's no linking of them to find them. There, it seems like it's mainly a bunch of surveys instead of studies as well, which is fair enough, but just keep a grain of salt in mind with these numbers as I'm going to read them. But the two ones that I thought were most important, um, and this is from the modems, the website, themodems.com, um, is 71% of people edit their selfies before posting. Now, that 71% could just mean filters, but probably not. A lot of people are editing many other things in their body, like um, scrunching things in, um, expanding things out, making them bigger, smaller. They're also like editing their skin texture and editing any flaws and things like that. I don't do that with my um, skin or anything like that, because I, I don't feel like that's fair to do to my audience, especially what my audience is. But there have been times in the past where I have been, I have tried that and it really works quite well. Um, you just, you're curious and you experiment. So it's not, it's not very hard to use a lot of these editing softwares. They're very common. Um, and Facetune is one of the most common ones. I do have Facetune on my phone, but I like it because it has amazing filters actually. So, I mean, even me, I use Facetune, right? And that's, that's not bad or good, but you should be honest about whether you're using it or not. And um, another stat they had on the site was 33% edit their lips and pictures before posting, 
which I was like, what? That's pretty shocking, right? 33% edit their lips in the pictures before posting. It's like making them bigger. You see these girls that always have like these big luscious lips and you're like, how is that even possible? And it's like, well, it may not be exactly true, you know? So that's a crazy statistic. I thought, I thought it's just so insane how, how much people are actually editing their photos. And then I'll read off this one little section that I found interesting about body parts, not just the face, but, but they said the results show that when it comes to editing, 54% change their imperfections on their skin. Next is face shape with 47% of people saying they touch up details to create a sharper jawline and higher cheekbones. Meanwhile, 46% of the respondents um, say they are unhappy with how their arms show in pictures and prefer to edit them while eyes come next with 42% and 35% of people alter their bums in pictures before posting them online while 33% say they edit their lips. What? How crazy that would take so much more time posting just one photo alone, taking the photo, writing the caption for the photo, putting a filter and then posting it. That takes enough time, but then to also edit them, it's crazy, but people feel the need to do it, especially like when there are so many people photoshopping it, you will look at like having a normal body and posting it online feels a little bit scary and feels like you think you look like something's wrong with you, but like that is actually what's going on. If you look around, Instagram is not real and you look at other people and people don't look like that in real life because it's not fucking real, right? So when you are posting things or you're scrolling on Instagram, especially, please keep in mind that it's probably edited in some shape or form. And again, even, even if it is true, maybe they actually do look like that. It could just serve you to believe that maybe they photo, photoshopped it. And I don't like, I know people might give me hate for that being like, well, some people, you know, do actually look like that. What are you supposed to say about that? Like, okay, they look like that, but you don't look like that. So what is the point in beating yourself up and comparing yourself all the time? You're just making yourself miserable. I will never have the bone structure of Kim Kardashian. And I don't want to attempt to do the plastic surgery to do that. And I don't want it because I've been able to get to where I've gotten and have a happy and fulfilling life looking how I look, not how Kim Kardashian looks or anyone else. I'm saying Kim Kardashian because she's literally right in front of me as I read this article. But it's just crazy that we compare ourselves to these people and think our lives would be so much better with them. And I know that people do judge us based on our appearances, but you got to stop at that language. Like your life wouldn't be so much more different. Probably would change, of course, because appearance affects you. But you have to remember that you've gotten to where you've gotten looking like you look right now and of course body shape has changed my body shape has changed over the years um I like gained a bunch of weight and then lost weight and then gained it again and then um stayed there and then intuitively ate and then lost some weight and now I'm here um and I've gained muscle after that and now I'm here right but my body was never perfect that whole time. And I was still able to do a lot of things I want to do in my life. I was able to do everything I wanted to do in my life. Um, still pursuing that dream right now, but got to remember that your body doesn't necessarily have to change for your whole life to come together. It's actually um, quite the opposite. You kind of have to start doing things and then focus on your body as a side note. Okay. Now cosmetic surgeries. 
um, and cosmetic minimally, minimally invasive procedures. Now, surgeries are actually when you go under the knife, you get cut open and things get moved around. Basically, that's my unscientific description of surgery. Procedures are, are minimally invasive, meaning like injections and things where they don't necessarily have to open you up and, and move things around and reshape your bone structure or something like that. It, or like cutting off fat or anything. Um, I think uh, like liposuction is considered a surgery and then uh, soft tissue filler is considered a minimally invasive thing because they don't actually have to cut anything open um, or they don't have to actually like take things out or remove things as far as I'm understanding this. But these stats are from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. So in the US in 2020, there were um, 352,555 nose reshaping surgeries. There were um, 325,112 eyelid surgeries and then 211,000 67 liposuctions. That's quite a bit, right? That's quite a lot. And then as far as minimally invasive procedures, botulinum toxin type A, minimally invasive procedures, 4.4 million people, right? 4.4 million. And again, I'm not knocking anyone that gets it. I will probably get Botox someday. I'll probably get um, like, maybe I'll even consider filler at some point. I don't know. Like I want my skin to look young and supple for as long as possible for sure. But I just want you to be aware that this, there's so many surgeries and procedures happening. There's so many things people are doing to their bodies to make them look certain ways, right? It's not just that they woke up looking like that. They put a ton of effort into that appearance. It doesn't just organically happen. So if you're beating yourself up, like also know that you're not spending thousands of dollars on your face and your body, and you're not also using performance enhancing drugs and then not using a ton of Photoshop. Like all those things in tandem really create a different, different look altogether. And then also there were 3.4 million soft tissue fillers done in 2020 in America and then, or in USA. And then laser skin resurfacing, 997,245. So yeah, those are some big numbers, right? Very, very big. And then lastly, I pulled up some eating disorder stats because again, I'm not saying that eating disorder should be a good avenue to achieve certain looks, but I just want you to know how common these things are. Um, and that while you also feel bad because you think I'm, I'm don't look like those people on online that are doing all these things. Also, you feel bad because you're having an eating disorder or you're struggling with eating disorder. And you think I'm the only one and I look like this or whatever. So here's some stats from um, NIDA, nationaleatingdisorder.org. That's a really great resource for anyone that's struggling with eating disorders. I always have it linked in the description of my podcast. Like if you need help to go to their helpline as well, if you feel like that's what you can do. Um, they're just a great resource in general. But here are some of the stats that they pulled out. They have, I'm just linking their website, but under each of these stats, they actually helpfully list the um, studies that they got these from. So here are some stats for you. When researchers followed a group of 496 adolescent girls for eight years until they were 20, they found 5.2% of the girls met criteria for DSM-5 anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. 
When researchers included nonspecific eating disorder symptoms, a total of 13.2% of the girls had suffered from a DSM-5 eating disorder by age 20. Shocking, right? Um, male, males, so this is another, this is from a different study. Males represent 25% of individuals with anorexia nervosa, and they are at a higher risk of dying in part because they are often diagnosed later since many people assume males don't have eating disorders. Um, another study, though most athletes with eating disorders are female, male athletes are also at risk, especially those competing in sports that tend to emphasize diet, appearance, size, and weight in weight class sports, wrestling, rowing, horse racing, and aesthetic sports, bodybuilding, gymnastics, swimming, diving, about 33% of males athletes are affected are affected in female athletes in weight class and aesthetics sports, disordered eating occurs at estimates at occurs at estimates of up to 62%. Shocking, right? I also think, you know, this is my own opinion, uh, but I feel as though those stats could be higher, especially for the males um, and other people. Like they're not, this is just like two genders, right? But I feel as though those stats could be actually a lot higher than what they're saying, because this is, people have to report them, right? They have to ask and then people have to be honest. And I remember when we took anonymous surveys when we were in elementary school and public school, right? And they asked like, do you struggle with these things? I remember lying on a few of those answers. I didn't, I don't remember what I lied about, but I definitely remember being dishonest, even though they told us a thousand times it's anonymous. No one will know that you're writing this. No one will know that you're filling out the survey. But I definitely remember like <laughs> marking something that actually wasn't true, right? Because I didn't want them to know. So all these stats right here, this is what people have reported. This is the information that they have been able to find by asking questions and reporting it. But there could have been a lot of people that just did not partake, did not report, did not report honestly. It's all up to the, the, up to the honesty of people and just the human error of people, right? So I would imagine since males get diagnosed less with the, these sort of things and they, um, it's part of our culture to feel like men can't share their feelings as well, that it's weak if they're struggling with these things, that they, they have to be strong, that they just wouldn't report this in the first place. I could see that being a, a very high likelihood. And then another study, uh, a 2007 study asked 9,282 English-speaking Americans about a variety of mental health conditions, including eating disorders. The results found that 3.5% of women and 2.0% or 2% of men have binge eating disorder during their life. I put those statistics in there again, not because they are something to be looked at as aiding people and looking differently, but when you're comparing yourself to people, not only do you compare yourself to people who you think are better, but you also compare yourself to normal people thinking that I'm the freak. I'm the one struggling with eating disorders when actually the, uh, they're, they're more common than you think a lot more people are struggling with this than what you think. And they're just not telling you because when's the last time you felt like putting a sign out, uh, uh, you know, hanging it around your neck saying, I'm struggling with bulimia. Yeah, no, you don't do that. Uh, so I do that, but it's my job and I'm used to it now, but it is hard. So please keep that in mind. With all those stats being said, I know I just threw a lot of numbers at you guys, a lot of thoughts, a lot of things, but the main thing that I hope that you take away from this podcast isn't that things aren't real. Although that's a very important piece of this podcast, comparing yourself to smoke and mirrors most of the time. Um, but I just want to, when I say this podcast, I keep remembering the phrase comparison is the thief of joy. 
at least I think that's what the phrase is. I could be wrong. I'm one of those like, you know, people on comedy movies, the dumb person that's like, says a completely wrong metaphor that everyone else knows. But anyway, (laughs) comparison is the thief of joy. And it really is. And the reason that it is, is because when you are comparing yourself, when you're thinking that there's something better out there and you're always thinking, no, once I get to that place, I'll be happy. Once I can, once I can be what that person is, I can finally be content. It robs you of your presence in the moment and it robs you of the joy you have for being present in the moment and the accomplishments that you already have of the, the, the things that you can be grateful for right now, because you're spending time in their shoes, you're spending time in their pool over there and thinking the grass is always greener. You're not really a appreciating your luscious green garden that is right in front of you that you actually have. You're just envying your neighbors, right? And you're not paying attention to anything going on. When you're constantly, you know, goals are important. Having things to strive to really keep you going. You don't want to be, at least I don't want to be completely complacent and just be like, oh, I don't have to do anything more in life. But there is something to stopping and smelling the roses, right? There's something to stopping and appreciating what you've done. And we so often do not do that. We're such a go, go, go. Okay, you accomplished this. Okay, what do you, what are you going to do next? And I've been trying to start out every coaching call with my clients with, what are you proud of? You know, what are you celebrating this week? What are you happy this week? And, you know, sometimes when I ask that question, they try to dive right into like, well, this, you know, actually I don't have anything to be excited about. And I really try to push them and be like, no, there's, there's gotta be something, you know, cause there is, it's just oftentimes we're not willing to see it. And when you are comparing yourself to smoke and mirrors, you're most certainly never going to be satisfied with your life because the ideal that you're um, comparing yourself isn't possible or it's not possible without surgeries and drugs. So, and Photoshop. So, you know, keep that in mind, like, it's not just that comparison is a waste of time and it keeps you striving for an unrealistic standard and makes you feel bad about yourself, but it's really making you underappreciate your own life as it is and your own um, body and person as it is when really you're actually doing quite a lot better than what you think. My suggestion is to keep these stats in mind. First of all, don't forget them. Remind yourself as often as you need to go back to this podcast but also check the intake that you are taking in, right? What are you listening, looking at on social media? Who are you following? Um, question them a little bit, even question me, whatever, whatever you need to do. Like, is this realistic? Do I think that maybe they're using these things? Do I need to involve some people that are making me feel not so great? Like you're welcome to do all of those things. And I'd highly recommend it because What you um, are taking in is what you're going to become. It affects you in more ways than you realize. What you're listening to, what what I listen to, I repeat all the time. I soak up other people's knowledge, other people's ideas. So I sure as hell don't want to be taking in something that's making me feel awful, toxic, or making me strive to do things that aren't even realistic. So um, I would do that after this episode and obviously share it with someone if you feel like they are struggling or they don't have these concepts, they didn't know this, that could be informative for them too. And it, of course, it helps out the podcast. Lastly, I just want to say that it is December. And uh, if you didn't know, and that January is approaching, Christmas is approaching. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are pushing like January goals, like New Year's, start a new diet, stuff like that. Um, First of all, don't do that. If you're setting, if you're trying to like wait till January to start new health goals, 
and you're like, before then I'll just like go crazy. It's really just like setting you up to binge and have a bad time. The best time to start new things is now always like the best time to start something you really want in your life. Like believe me, recovery is now. So don't wait. And if you're out there listening and you're struggling with, I'm guessing you're struggling with bulimia. If you're listening to this podcast, please do not wait to get that help. And if you need help seeing actually how really amazing your life is and how good you're actually doing and how capable you are of recovery and so, so much more like the clients I described in the beginning of my podcast, if you feel like I want to do these things, but I just feel like I don't have the capability to do it, or I feel like I can't break free from bulimia, sign up for a freaking consult. Don't wait to do that. Sign up for a call with me. Um, a lot of people hear the term consult and they think it's a scary call where they're going to be forced into buying things. But a consult is actually really valuable because it helps you make a decision with your recovery and decide further and cement what's going on, what's keeping you from recovery and how you're going to actually go through the process of recovering and moving on to those things in your life. I have so many people that get on consults with me and they don't even decide to work with me, but they say the call was very thought provoking and powerful. My schedule is pretty busy. So what you can do is email me at jacqueline.davis.biz at gmail.com and, or you can DM me on Instagram and we'll get a call set up. It's very hard to schedule a call with me right now, partly because I'm going to go on vacation at the end of December, but also I just get more appointments, you know, <laughs> and I'm trying to protect my time as well, but, and I just, anyone that's even considering, um, recovery coaching amplifies those results so much. So what are you doing? Don't waste the time. Do that now. Okay. Otherwise I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. We'll have some more exciting podcasts coming up soon. And otherwise never give up on yourself. My friends, you're the most important person in your life. You can't give up on you. All right. Bye.